Hello there, this is Mark Bauerline with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. You may have seen a recent article in InsideHigherEd.com that began, Wyoming Catholic College has a lot of unusual things about it, each enough to merit a story in itself. Wyoming Catholic is a conservative Catholic college that educates students in the great books and Catholic tradition. It also teaches horsemanship and bans cell phones on campus. I love that. And it turned down federal funding. President Glenn Arbery describes the mission this way. This college is engaged in deep ways with the agony of a culture that has lost its spiritual center. We're adventurous and poetic and deeply Catholic. He likes to cite Dostoevsky in crime and punishment. Low ceilings are bad for the soul. The ceilings rise at Wyoming Catholic, which is located in the foothills of the Wind River Mountains. The curriculum centers in the Western tradition. Its Catholic identity builds upon Thomas Aquinas and the magisterium of the Catholic Church and engaging with God in the wilderness. Find out more at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Hadley Arcus, a man who, as the cliche goes, needs no introduction for first things readers. He's actually one of the most important figures, uh, contributors in the history of the magazine, uh, 30 plus years. Now, he is, he was at Amherst for a long time. He's now the director of the James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights and the American Founding. He has an essay in a web publication of the Institute, Anchoring Truths, uh, that's the web pu- title of the of the publication, with the title, Conservatives After Fulton, Time for a New Path, our topic today. Welcome, Hadley. Well, thanks so much again for having me in, Mark. And as you say, this, um, this was the launching piece uh, in a new online journal that comes out of our James Wilson Institute on Natural Rights in the American Founding, where we've been doing seminars with lawyers, uh, judges, um, students, and, and ordinary folk, businessmen, and everyone else. But we're, we're simply trying to restore the understanding, or basically the furnishings of mind of those remarkable men who framed the Republic. And we do that by, by trying to recover their knack of tracing their judgments back to those anchoring truths that were there, the truths that were there before the Constitution, the truths they drew upon in shaping the Constitution. So it's, it, this is probably one of those points of, you know, Dan Robinson, my dear friend, late friend, who wrote 18 books, said he wanted as the, the epigraph on his tombstone, he died without a theory. He was, <laughs> he was drawing us back to Thomas Reed and that under, this understanding of common sense those things you need to know before you start trafficking in theories. And so, you know, before the, the ordinary man would start bantering with David Hume about the meaning of causation, he knew his own active powers to cause his own acts to happen. And so that's the line we're taking, that the, that, that the ground of natural law is not to be found in theories, but is found in those anchoring, anchoring axioms and truths that virtually everyone understands. And, we, and the problem is we no longer notice them because they're, they're so woven into our normal reactions. But anyway, you want to talk about uh, the new piece on conservatives after Fulton. Yeah. For, first, uh, Hadley, if you would, give us an overview of the Fulton case. Well, it's a, it's a familiar problem of uh, affecting uh, Catholic social services and Catholic charities, as you find in other cities. Catholic so- social services uh, pursuing a long traditional mission of arranging for the adoption of uh, orphans and, uh, and, and babies uh, 
just just held back from as Catholic institutions usually hold back from placing children with same-sex couples. I mean, what they're looking for is, is, is a stable family of a man and a woman. And a Catholic institution simply can't sign on to the notion that a same-sex couple really is approximates or even resembles or, or, or is the equivalent of what we understand to be a marriage. So, of course, they held back. And then holding back, they ran counter to that device that's been used to harass the uh, religious all over the country, along with everyone else, on the issue of same-sex marriage. They never would come out exactly say, it is wrong for you to, to speak any opinion that calls into question the marriage of two people of the same sex, because that's like saying uh, people can be held to be punishable for holding to a view that's been um, held immemorial to at least six years ago. So what, they, what this usually is used is said is the notion of sexual orientation. You're forming adverse judgments out of people based upon their sexual orientation. Now, that's the point behind Justice Kennedy's notable cases here with Lawrence versus Texas and then on, on striking out laws on sodomy in Texas and then Obergefell clearing the way for same-sex marriage. That is, instead of dealing with a case for marriage, the argument is that what's behind the refusal to acknowledge same-sex marriage is an aversion to the homosexual life, a, a casting of moral judgments on the homosexual life. And so this begins with the premise that, uh, that it, is, it is truly wrongful to cast moral judgments on the homosexual life. Now, why that's the case, why that's been lifted from a matter of taste to a matter of uh, the moral wrongness of casting judgments is another matter. But that's the line that's been used. And so uh, with the famous case of Jack Phillips, Master B. Baker in, uh, in Colorado, <clears throat> there, was, there was no law on same-sex marriage at the time in Colorado. His refusal to bake the cake to celebrate a same-sex wedding was based on the, on the notion that he was casting an adverse judgment on the base of sexual orientation, namely, homosexuality. Now, of course, uh, Jack Phillips had been willing to sell and do business with, uh, with gays along with everyone else. He was just held back from making that cake, which would, he took to be an, an endorsement, a celebration of a homosexual marriage. Let me make one clarification, Hadley. I saw Jack Phillips described in the media, in the press, frequently as someone who refused to sell cakes to same-sex customers, which was flat false. That's right, that's right. He, he, if you that's want to right. take one of my cakes off the shelf, do whatever you want with it, that's fine. You're not, I'm not gonna make one where I have to create two men on, 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 a, on top of a cake embracing. I, I won't do that. You can do it, go ahead, but uh, to me, it was it was part of the just the the, uh, the the profound dishonesty surrounding that case. And of course, one of the breakthroughs here, and one of the good things about this this case, as John Roberts handled it, is that he they finally recognized that what's involved here is a moral endorsement in this act of making the cake. The the argument we heard before was, look, you're in business, you you sell cakes to customers who come in, 
here you're refusing to sell cakes to the customer, and thus because you're drawing it out, making an adverse judgment on uh, their homosexual life. So this was, this was a minor breakthrough, I think, for the court with John Roberts finally putting that kind of argument away. So he's in Sam, Sam, uh, uh, Sam Alito, when this was done, that case, an interesting analogy to uh, somebody who wanted to say October 11th, 1938, I think it was, somebody celebrated that as, as the wedding date. And it turns out it's also the night of Kristallnacht in Germany. And you could see why somebody might <clears throat> have reservations about simply selling a cake when decorated in that way. So that, that we, Jack Phillips could not separate the making of that case from the imprint of, of celebration on, on that event. So that's what we began here with. And we have with, um, um, with, with a, when a familiar case on sexual orientation, this kind, kind of argument that has managed to close. And, and well, well, Hadley, let me, let me interrupt you again. You say, you, you say in the article that Jack Phillips did win in the Supreme Court, but it actually wasn't quite the triumph that it, it should have been. What happened? No, not at all. Not at, not, and that's, that's one of the things that's lingering in this, this case. It affects this case as well. Uh, Justice Kennedy hit on the fact that um, the, pe- the, the people who are interviewing Jack Phillips and making the case against him were saying rather snotty things and uh, gratuitously nasty things about religion itself. And so Kennedy took those as signs of a, of a prejudice or hostility. And on that basis, willing to, to overturn this case against him and, and send it back. Well, of course, as everyone predicted at the time, it's quite easy for the same commission now to be very careful, have another kind of, uh, of the kind of hearing, but simply omit those gratuitous lines. And so, of course, yes, of course, Jack Phillips is back in court. And if they won't try to get him again on the same on same sex marriage, now the attempt is to get him to uh, to celebrate a, a trans a transgendered event or some transgendered uh, transformation. And and again, and and again, the, the critical point would be that matter of sexual orientation. Now, getting back to your point, so they disposed of it in that way with Kennedy saying that there was this gratuitous nastiness that indicated what it revealed was a, a gratuitous slurring of religion itself, that kind of prejudice. That, that was not, that did not involve any, any judgment that it was quite legitimate for someone to hold and act upon a, a moral judgment about same-sex marriage. They didn't, they didn't reach that. Uh, <clears throat> And they didn't, of course, reach the question of sexual orientation when, when it was plausible or even comprehensible to understand what sex, why one couldn't have an adverse judgment on, quote, sexual orientation. Sexual orientation could be with, um, but could be oriented to sex with animals, you know. Um, and even, as I pointed out, even the gay activists used to have an argument over whether they would include the Man-Boy Love Association in their parades. And so... If, if, if even the gay activists will regard certain sexual orientations as illegitimate, then how could there be a warrant for a law that in a sweeping way 
bans all discriminations based on sexual orientation. So I think things, if you could just clear that, one could just clear that away, maybe getting ahead of myself. But if the court can strip that one away and say, that can't be what you mean, you, you're not, you've got to leave. You, yourself, so, you yourself show us that it's not what you mean. So why don't you come back and tell us what you do mean? And if they did, then I think it would be harder for people to argue that it's somehow wrong for somebody to cast, uh, express uh, a traditional adverse judgment on um, same-sex marriage or even homosexual life. Uh, so, but um, it, the, the, this way of handling the case did not reach those issues about the rightness or wrongness of same-sex marriage, the plausibility or implausibility of uh, of prosecuting people because they had a different judgment on the matter of the homosexual life. So, so it, the case was just turned on some incidental point. And that was part of the, the point raised here in the case of Fulton, because the argument used by Chief Justice Roberts was that, that the law here, actually, let me, let me go back a moment. What was at issue on all sides was a judgment by uh, Justice Scalia, in a famous case called Employment versus Services versus Smith, in which you point out a law that is passed, a law of general application, like requiring people to have social security cards, a law of general application, which is not meant to um, uh, visit punishments on, on the religious, has a claim to be respected, even when it runs counter to people's beliefs. And so we have a whole long train of things. You, you may not take your child out of school to, uh, to engage in proselytizing. Uh, no, you may not be able to, may, you may be compelled to, to carry a social security card. And of course, long before in the 1870s, the, uh, uh, the court made it clear that uh, the civil, the law wouldn't hold back if, uh, if there's an attempt to burn a widow on the funeral pyre of her husband, even if we're done under religious auspices. Okay. The issue though, since then was that whether the law should be, whether there should be an allowance to make a kind of a, an allowance to accommodation for religious belief in these cases that would not in fact create a situation which you give people a virtual license to disobey, refuse to obey even the most compelling laws if they run counter to what some people call their religious belief, when the court has moved long away from any demanding standards as to what constitutes a religious belief in the first place. It could simply be uh, views held with a certain passion, not, not involving any theism, no mention of God, no body of theology. It could be things read, things read on the back of a cereal box last week. So you couple those two and you realize what the real hazard is in declaring a blanket outer or an exemption uh, for people on the basis of what they claim to be their religious beliefs. Well, Roberts, um, some of the conservatives in the court just want the court to overturn that, that 30 year old opinion for the sake of, of making the way for some explicit accommodations with the religious. I mean, Scalia's position was of course, the legislature can do that, and Congress came forth with that in the Religious Freedom Restoration of Religious Freedom Act, so-called RIFRA, where the, where the, where the Congress or the legislature can, could uh, put in certain provisions about um, 
but the need to show an even more compelling interest and the and the and the need to try to sort of narrow those measures or restrictions and try to tailor them more closely so they may be less likely to tread heavily on religious beliefs. Okay, that's that's been in play. Now, uh, Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas would like to strike at, get, get rid of the Employment Service versus Smith and repudiate that decision of their, their dear late friend, Anthony Scalia. John Roberts managed to hold to it only by saying that in, in the law applied in Pennsylvania, it could not arrange the affairs of any organization that included a prejudice and adverse judgment on um, sexual orientation. Ah, but he said there was a provision of, uh, for exemption that people could be exempted from this if they had some special reason. But of course, you know, you know, that would apply to any, there's no act we can mention that could not uh, lend itself to an exception. You don't know, if, you know, you may be hitting golf balls, but hitting golf balls through somebody else's windows. You know, any act you could mention will have to have some to be directed to an unlawful end. Still, uh, Roberts's line was: "I just the law made a provision for exceptions. If it made a provision for exceptions, then it cannot strictly be generally applicable." Now, Alito came back point to say that, but there were no exemptions used in this case. There were no exemptions granted. So, as far as we can know, it was generally applicable, which, which will bring it back to the main point. Um, let's see, the law is generally applicable. It, it, there was an attempt here to bar, to say that no one, you know, nothing, in, no, no organization will be listed or licensed in the public life of Pennsylvania that incorporates an adverse judgment on sexual orientation. Now, what our, some of our friends don't understand is that the people who pass this, these kinds of things think that, that this discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation is a moral wrong. It is morally wrong. Let, remember, Lincoln brought out the logic of the moral judgment many years ago, and he, and he said in his um, Cooper Union speech that if slavery were right, all words against it would be wrong and could be justly set aside. If I agreed with you that it was wrong, if it was, it was right, if it was wrong, then of course, of course we can, we can, we can censor the federal mails from the, of, uh, of the case for slavery and so on. But the, the critical point here is that to say that something is wrong could say it's, that one may be rightly restrained from doing it, perhaps even punished for doing it, the people who pass these statutes think that it is morally wrong to engage in this kind of discrimination. We don't give churches an exemption from the laws on civil rights that bar discriminations based on, on race. So convinced as we are that this is just as wrong, we can't see any ground here for giving people a religious exemption to these laws on sexual orientation any more than we can see giving them an exemption to the laws uh, barring discriminations based on race. Now, Sam Alito caught, Justice Alito caught the end of this, at the end of his opinion, we say, well, these people would put discriminations based on sex on the same plane as the bigotry 
that induces people to uh, discriminate on the basis of religion, of, of race. So we don't want to put uh, put on the same plane the people who would discriminate on the basis of uh, the people who make judgments, people who make judge adverse judgments on the basis of same-sex marriage, along with people who would make adverse judgments based on race, because they are bigots. Now the point is. And it's insulting, he said. But Justice Alito has already told us with Justice Gorsuch that we must be prepared to defend any construction of religion, no matter how offensive we find it. The fact that something is offensive or insulting does not indicate there's anything about it that cannot claim the respect of the law. So it runs back here when Alito says that you're threatening to put, you're proposing to put on the same plane the people who make adverse judgments on the homosexual life along with people who make adverse judgments on race. That's insulting, but the point is that is precisely the point that has to be made because the people on the other side do are in fact convinced, persuaded, that it is as deeply wrong to reach an adverse judgment on sexual orientation and the, and the same-sex marriage as it is to discriminate on the basis of race. Now, what, what Mr. Alito wants, what Justin Alito wants, is to get rid of the uh, holding in, in, in employment services versus Smith. And he said that well, all we're doing is walking around in circles again. We'll send this back to Pennsylvania, and then we'll, it's going to come back to us again if they'll find some other ground for withholding a license from Catholic services, just as the people in Colorado on another ground for leveling more charges against uh, against Jack Phillips. He says, we're, we're going to be walking around in circles. And he's right, except that I fear that if they simply move at the old uh, strike, at the old employment versus services, okay, that highly rebuked um, uh, opinion by Justice Scalia, they'll still be walking around in circles but it's just another set of circles. And it will no longer, it will not make any contact with the main question in these cases any more than uh, the opinion in, in Fulton versus, uh, versus Philadelphia or the Masterpiece uh, Baker case did. Because the heart of the, mat- part of the matter is the matter of sexual orientation and same-sex marriage. Let's pause for a moment for what I believe is one of the best schools of higher learning in the country, the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving, Texas, and Rome, Italy, UD offers a rigorous and exciting core curriculum that sets it apart, an education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition, an education that ennobles and enables students in their pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Fidelity to man requires fidelity to the truth, which alone is the guarantee of freedom and of the possibility of integral human development. Those are the words of Pope Benedict, quoted at the University of Dallas, and guiding educators in all the departments of the university. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. You say that... A whole lot of conservative judges, maybe conservatives, intellectuals in general, they have, quote, a deep aversion, unquote, to addressing the moral substance of sexual orientations, which the left is doing. Liberal judges are precisely 
addressing the moral substance of sexual orientations. Why are conservatives uh, averse to this? Well, you, you, as you know, I've been writing about that for, for many years, but the, the people on the left think they're making moral arguments. They're, they're, they may be specious. If you think they're specious, what you do is point out why they're wrong. And the conservatives have reacted by saying, oh, we're going to, their problem is that they're engaging in moral reasoning, moving away from the, the strictures of the law. Uh, we're going to solve their problem. Uh, we will forego moral reasoning altogether. We'll not talk about the moral substance of these cases, as though that were somehow a winning strategy or even a coherent, a coherent perspective. So what they've given us is a construction of the law that what's it's like a home, just as Holmes' famous line expressing the uh, the voice of the modern project in law, and he said it was hope. His hope was to purge all words of moral significance from the law altogether. And what you've got now is a group uh, offering us. We have a conservatives offering us a brand of conservative jurisprudence. It actually takes pride in steering around the main substantive questions. We just had an even more dramatic example of this a couple of days ago, when the court refused to um, refused to take make, take certiorari or take a case involving uh, transgenderism. Only Justice only Justice Alito and uh, and Justice Thomas willing to take it. But let me just pick one passage from here that that to me brings the red flag down. The judge is saying when Gavin. Grimm was born, this is the, the kid who was in, involved in the case. He was identified as female and his sex so indicated at his birth certificate, but Grimm always knew that he was a boy. For example, when given the choice, he would opt for wear boys' clothing. He recounts how uncomfortable. In other words, what the judge has done is incorporate now as a truth the fact that 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 for all for every all matters of consequence, when this this girl has come to the judgment that she is a boy, that is a judgment that we must respect, and and we don't, of course, challenge it by simply appealing to those objective truths that cannot be denied. You know, that we are indeed constituted as as males and females. Now, the curious thing is. People are saying, well, uh, Neil Gorsuch's decision in that um, case of employment, uh, uh, you, must, you, you must credit this man's view of himself that he's, that he's not a woman, and everybody around him must respect it. Well, that's a matter of employment, and it won't, it won't be shifted to other places. But as I pointed out in the piece for First Things just um, in the fall, the principle, the principle is the same. And of course, it's going to be projected into things like the bathrooms and locker rooms, and that's exactly where we're. Well, exactly. I don't know why why our, our fans couldn't see. It. No, don't worry. Maybe much more limited. No, it's not limited. It's going to extend out there. But uh, you touch on this strange thing. Here, only two judges would rate, vote to take this case. We've we've appointed conservative judges now. Well, the last couple, of, we have Amy Coleman Barrett, we have Neil Gorsuch, and to say of a sixth of those judges. You couldn't get four to get. And I mean, if this this passage I just cited to you was put before me, Mark, it would be like the red flag to the. How could you resist this? If you're holding back, 
you're allowing the judge to put these premises on the record. Soon they will be picked up. And before you know it, in a very short order, the law is going to incorporate as an orthodoxy that if a person simply wills that he's of another sex, then for all intents and purposes, he has made that transition. And or at least the rest of us are obliged to respect it and not say any words that call into question, because if we did, we'd open ourselves in turn to litigation or our employers to litigation if we fail to respect it. Final question on this, and, and you have been arguing this point, and I think you've been proven right in subsequent years uh, in, in terms of the trend, the way things have been going. Now, a lot of, we'll just say conservative Americans, I think they sense that uh, Republican politicians and many conservative judges have punted on, on, on the substantive moral judgment issue. Final question, has it, do you have any sense that within these elite conservative circles, they're, they're starting to realize the people are very unhappy with this. This isn't working and it's being exposed as unworkable more and more. No, I don't, I, I don't think, the judges certainly realize that people are unhappy, but I think the conservative judges feel, no, we just have to hold, people may not understand the discipline of law that we are obliged to uh, avoid those questions and settle, settle our judgments on some ground. After the decision in, in the Bostock case on transgenderism, uh, one young, young we, have, we have this odd case. People who call themselves originalists will favor same-sex marriage and abortion, and people who call themselves originalists will, will oppose both of them, which to me, that, so I draw the inference that from, from, that, from that report, that originalism has nothing to say on this subject. It's a morally empty jurisprudence. And, and that's what we're getting. Now, now, what we've been seeing, may I say, to give a plug, Mark, we have been drawing to ourselves at the James Wilson Institute so many promising young people coming out as clerks, to, everyone coming out of the Supreme Court as a clerk, and also judges, federal judges around the country who've been sending us clerks and who've been participating in our programs and are beginning to awaken to the fact that there is indeed a very, a serious question of coherence, Mark, of moral coherence to, the, to these things. So that um, I'm sure that those conservative judges who refuse to take if certiari and take that case uh, are convinced that, um, I don't know what their, their thinking is, maybe they didn't think, think they didn't have enough votes to, to counter that awful, that awful decision. But they think that they, they probably are priding themselves on a kind of discipline of detachment in which um, it's less vital to get a, it's, it's more important to observe the procedures than to reach that substantive question. But I think what's behind the two mark is that there's just been a, a loss of confidence among conservatives, that they're able to speak about these questions in public during the uh, oral argument <clears throat> over same-sex marriage. I remember uh, uh, Justice Kagan asking uh, Chuck Cooper, uh, one of our, the advocates, oh, if you have a couple who are past childbirth, you, would, you wouldn't deny them the license for marriage. What's your ground? Well, you know, he was 
uh, Cooper was just uh, staggered. He, just, he was thrown off. He didn't know what to say. And I think that has been the, the uh, a sign of, of what's going on here, that the conservatives have just, have just not so unfamiliar, so unpracticed in actually addressing the moral heart of the question that, uh, well, look, in, in, the, in, the, um, in the case on, on, on the, and the defense of marriage, my dear, my dear beloved Antonin Scalia said, I don't care about the, what the doctrine of marriage itself. I am concerned about who is making the decision that 300 million Americans are being displaced by a handful of judges. But that's, that's the pattern we're getting. In the original case of Rose versus Wade, the, 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 the dissents were not picking up the impressive material assembled by the lawyers for Texas uh, uh, with utmost up-to-date information in embryology woven with principal reasoning. And the main complaint was, well, abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. You're shifting uh, the, the power to make the decision from, from uh, legislatures and the states into, into the courts. In other words, it was a pattern of putting the accent on process and, and uh, studiously avoiding addressing the moral substance of the case. Whereas we would argue that the lawyers for Texas were in for the sake of establishing why it was indeed justified, rightful, that the law casts its protection about that unborn child in the womb because it has been human from its first moments, it's not, a, not an appendage of the mother, the laws on homicide have never been proportioned to the height and age of, of the victim. Yes, that's the kind, exactly the kind of thing that one would be needed in showing why those laws are justified. And one of the strange parts of our time is why, why it's become a point of pride in conservative jurisprudence that they steer around that question. So, but I think we're, we're, we, we, have, we have a new... I think a new generation coming up and there's more, I'm saying that we, we seem to have more conversions in the land from what we've seen in our own work. Jerry Bradley's going to be joining me in this podcast. He's been writing for first things as well, but I, I fear, I fear now that, that the conservative judges we have on the court by this recent, just by the, the reaction to this case is seeking of, of a review on the case on transgender, their reaction to that indicates that we're seeing we have set, even among young conservative judges, that same disposition to steer around the central question in the case. Or as we used to say, they're looking for the low door under the wall. <laughs> the article is Conservatives After Fulton, Time for a New Path by Hadley Arcus. Hadley, thank you for joining us. Okay, Mark. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.